Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. We did have a few sound quality issues with our first few episodes. Those have been resolved. So if you do notice that the sound is funny in the first couple episodes, we do apologize for that. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at loveincontext. Uh, Welcome to the Love and Context podcast with Ven and Spencer. This is an unscripted conversation. We have been high-stepping our way through Torah. Uh, today, we're going to be taking a pause and moving fast. Not quite as quickly, because we want to stop and talk about this section, uh, Genesis 9, 18 through the rest of the chapter. And uh, so if you haven't read it, pause the podcast. I feel like we're going to say this a lot. Pause the podcast, go read your Bible, be familiar with the story. Especially like, I mean, can you imagine you getting emails and they'd be like, well, it does. I was like, dude, read the Bible. I, well, this is a weird intro. We're on a roll right now. Yeah. I think there's maybe, maybe too many cups of coffee. I feel like I'm about to phase through a wall. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, I think it's good that we say pause the podcast because, uh, I mean, how many times do you listen to a podcast sitting down doing nothing? Pause the podcast, go find something better to listen to, play that. That was straight. <laughs> I mean, I'm being real. Like, most yeah. of the time when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm doing something, right? Like, right. And so, like, to be like, oh, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I need to listen to this a little later after I read this passage, right? Yeah. If you're driving, though, um, don't, don't, don't look at the passage right now. Yeah. Like, pull over, stop in the car. Yeah. Law enforcement, you're welcome. Yeah. So, uh, we're just coming off this really cool story of the flood. Um, you know, great children's story death, destruction, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but there's animals, don't worry. Uh, and then you get this great story of like God reaffirming his covenant. You still have a job. You still have an identity. You still have this calling in your life. Right. And, uh, they were coming out and there is this, this interesting. (laughs) So I, this is interesting here. So starting verse 20, it says, Noah, a man of the soil. It's interesting how we keep coming back to the earth. Yeah. Isn't it? Okay. The man of the soil proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of the wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. By the way, if you drink a lot of wine, that is what happens. Yeah. Hopefully that's not surprising to you. Uh, We're not advocating for that. We're just saying that's reality. Yeah. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across over their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned to each other, turned the other way, so they would not see their father naked. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. He will be to his brothers. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to pause there. Okay, there's, there's more to the story, and I, I think it's worth talking about. So, I am not a, uh, I, what's the word for like a vineyard person? But uh, I'm kind of looking at this and saying, okay, this didn't happen overnight, right? No, like he doesn't. He doesn't plant a vineyard. He doesn't uh, raise grapes. So, uh, at very least, like he has to till the ground. Yeah, he has to plant the seeds. He has to grow the vineyard. He has to have a crop. He has to harvest the grapes. He has to ferment or like crush them or whatever you have to do to make it actually into like liquid. 
then you have to actually ferment it for it to become wine. So how long of a process do you think this is? So, I mean, this is just based off very limited Google research, like about 10 seconds of it. Uh, but it says it can take up to three years. Three years, right? Three years. So this didn't happen overnight, right? Yeah. The, this thing. And uh, and so Noah creates this thing. And maybe he knows what wine does. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, my suspicion is if he's fermenting grapes, mm -hmm. he probably has some idea what it does. Yeah. Right? Because you're not just like, hey, you know what? Let's just stick a bunch of stuff out here until it smells nasty and then drink it. Like, that's not typically something people do. No. Uh, so he probably has some capacity of idea what it's going to do. So here's some interesting stuff in the Hebrew. So the look upon the nakedness is is an idiom. Now we have uh, we have a couple in our church who is uh, who are from Korea. Yeah. And when I speak in idioms, or you speak in idioms, we often have this like they get this glassed over look on their face, like "What are you talking about?" I remember one time I said it's raining cats and dogs out, and they just looked at me and they're like, "It doesn't rain cats and dogs; it rains water." Oh, right. Sounds <laughs> like you are correct. That is correct. We were doing the music and we were going a little, like, uh, the tempo was uh, too fast. And I said, we're coming in a little too hot. Uh, now, if you understand, like, planes and, like, and spaceships, all those different things coming in hot, like, it's burning up, it's going too fast, right? All those different things. But if you don't speak English as your main language, what does hot have to do with tempo? Well, I could see a look on their faces. They were like, the temperature is fine in here. Yeah, that's what they were thinking. Is music more difficult when it's odd? Yeah, no. Uh, and so, so idioms like we we assume that people know. We say "cat got your tongue." Um, another one that is a really interesting one in English that uh, people who don't speak English as a main language. So, if I say I'm going, I'm fixing to go do something, mm -hmm. they have no idea what that means mm -hmm. because it's an idiom. Yeah. Now you understand what that means. Um, if I said, "Man, you don't want to let the cat out of the bag." Which, if that's just a weird one. Yeah, it's just like, why do you have a cat in a bag? <laughs> be real. <laughs> yeah, let that cat out of the bag it, it, to begin with. But if, yeah. Uh, yes, you should let the cat out of the bag. Like, your cat should not live in a bag. Yeah, so so interesting thing here is in Hebrew, to look upon nakedness is actually an idiom. Yeah, right? To look upon the nakedness of the father, right? So one interpretation of the idiom is that you uh, sleep with your father's wife. Uh, typically not your mother. We're dealing with a polygamous society. So like, uh, multiple wives, spouses, uh, in that society. And, uh, another, another usage of to live upon the nakedness is, uh, would be that there was a, uh, a molestation that occurred. Yeah. Or a castration. Yeah. Now in this particular instance, a lot of the sages, uh, actually make a statement that they believe that Noah was actually castrated at this point. And you're like, well, how did they come up with that? Well, because earlier there's a story about these rivers and there's four rivers and the rivers typically will represent like fertility. Noah has how many sons? Three. I, I cued you. I like, you guys can't see it, but I threw my fingers up. He's like, oh, I'll just read those three years. Um, Noah has three sons. Uh, he comes out of the ark and God tells him to be fruitful and multiply. So in order to be obedient to God, how many kids does he at least have to have? Four. At least four. Right? Uh and, uh, and, and then I did a little bit more like, uh, thinking about this. And, uh, it's interesting that when Noah, uh, wakes up and if indeed he's castrated, he wakes up and he's upset. I get it. Right. Uh, get, you get castrated in your sleep. Probably not a pleasant experience. I'd be upset. Too. Yeah. I'd be upset too. 
So he gets up and he he curses. Uh, so who's who's the one who actually did this to him? Looks upon the nakedness. It's Ham. But Ham is the son who actually looks upon the nakedness. And then um, Noah gets up and he curses Ham's fourthborn, fourthborn son, Canaan. Right? He doesn't curse Ham. He curses Canaan. And not not the firstborn, the secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn. You're like, Ben, where are you getting this? Look in chapter 10. It goes over who uh, who Ham's sons are. And uh, and they're going to track track that through that. So it's not just um, it's not just a curse on Ham's line. It's a curse on his firstborn, uh, likely because now Noah no, no longer has the opportunity to have a fourthborn. Now you can subscribe and be like, "Oh, Ben, you're full of it." Okay, I don't care. My point is, in this story, we see Noah act very strangely. And I think the thing that bothers me more about this story is we talked about in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that God actually hasn't cursed anybody. Mm-hmm. He didn't curse anybody. He said, curse the ground because of you. And he cursed the serpent to crawl on the ground. And then he said uh, to to um, Cain that he's going to have to wonder. Right? But there's not actually a specific curse placed on people. In fact, earlier in the flood story, God says, I'm actually reversing the curse. The, cur- the ground is no longer going to be cursed because of you. Right? As Genesis says, mm-hmm. don't argue with me, argue with the Bible. Right? <clears throat> so has God cursed anybody up to this point in the Bible? No. Who is the first person in the Bible who actually curses someone? Noah. Noah. Noah steps into the authority of God and actually curses his grandson like guys this story is messed up Mm -hmm. this story is messed up and um there's a lot of things going on here because the the flood story is supposed to take us back to creation this story is also supposed to connect us to the fall yeah right which is a messed up story too and on a one level i get it i get the feeling of noah i mean if so just Step in with me here. He's castrated. He wakes up. He's now lost his ability to to obey God. Yeah. Right? He no longer can be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Right? I mean, he can subdue it, but he's going to have to do with what he's got. He's going to have to rely on somebody else to be fruitful and multiply. Bad. And he comes out and he's just angry and on a real level i get that right have you have you ever had somebody rob you like maybe maybe feel like they've robbed you of your ability to follow god mm-hmm. let's get real here like more more real than we usually get right i have a ton of church trauma from my history and we went to this church and we believe that God brought us there. And, you know, the reality is looking back, you can see the positive things that, like, God did in, through, in and through us. Bro, we got chewed up and spit out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I served as an associate pastor of that church. And there, I mean, if I went through and just, like, started telling some of the stories, like, you'd be like, this is messed up. When I got out of that, like, I was, I, I never was upset at God. But holy cow, I did not want to deal with the church. I mean, I was just, I was so hurt. 
And worse than that, my wife, who had come to Christ the Campus Crusade, wonderful program, by the way, Campus Crusade, she'd never seen the nasty side of church, and man, she saw it. And we had to process our pain. And guys, I mean, I mean, on a real, real level, I could sit here with bitterness because I feel like I was robbed. But that's not what Jesus calls me to. Jesus calls me to something different. And Jesus takes my brokenness and makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. And the hard thing when you listen to stories like Ben's is... I've always wondered, I was like, what is going through the people's heads who are causing this pain? Right? Like, and I don't mean that in the negative. Like, I've, I have some church trauma stuff too, but like, I remember one, I've had some conversations with some people where they've said some things that were just downright nasty. But when you back up, I don't doubt their heart. Right. I'm not doubting their heart. I'm not doubting their intentions. Their execution was crap. Mm-hmm. But I'm not doubting their intentions. And so when we're looking at church hurt, church pain, it's all too easy for us to be like, all right, I am done with this, never doing that again. When the reality is the people who were, they might have genuinely been trying to help you. But in turn, how they did it caused more pain than good. Can anybody relate to that story? I mean, I can. Yeah. I mean, but I've already, uh, yeah, there are my stuff out there, man. So coming back to Noah here, um, one thing I find really interesting about this curse is Noah doesn't curse Ham. Like he doesn't give, he doesn't say, Ham, you did this, you be cursed. Noah says, I'm going to make this last throughout your family's generations. Then I'm going to curse Canaan. Mm-hmm your fourth-born son, okay? Up until this point in the story, Canaan hasn't done anything to Noah that we know of. So why curse Canaan? Uh-huh. I mean, the only thing that you can infer from a textual perspective is a reflection of his own hurt. Yeah. That, uh, and this is this is a very big reality, is that, and something you gotta understand if you're gonna be in the church, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Right? Like broken people tend to attack people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about the church is this place where broken people come to get put together. Mm-hmm. You know? So I was thinking about how much Canaan ends up being a thorn in the side of the Israelites throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And I mean, really, I mean, even in capacity to the New Testament, because you're dealing with those regions, right? The Canaanites end up being a big problem. Like, guys, just check out the Canaanites all throughout the Bible. And uh, all throughout this, it comes from this situation where Noah steps into an authority that isn't his, mm-hmm. does something that God doesn't do, and curses his fellow man. Yeah. I think some, some, some of the things we have to learn about this story, some of the things that it teaches us and that we walk with as Christians is, first of all, sin is intentional. Yeah. Because we, we all just look at the sin of Ham. And I was like, but... Also, I need to look at what brought them there. Like three plus years of excavation, uh, manipulation, building, creating to create this wine, this ferment fermentation 
that then causes drunkenness. Okay. I'm not saying that Noah caused this for himself. Please don't mishear that. But there's an intent behind the work he was doing. But there's an intent behind the work he was doing. And so when Ham comes in, if Noah is not drunk, this is not something Ham can do. And if, and if you're thinking like, okay, you're saying there's an intent behind what he was doing. Absolutely. I'm not saying the intent was drunkenness, but I am saying you don't do something for three years unless there's an intent behind it. Right. We're also looking at three years with like modern techniques. I suspect it took a little bit longer for him. Yeah. I mean, so like nowadays I was reading a little bit more on grapes and all this. There's tons of different grape varieties. Some are... 12 months, some are three years, like it could change a lot, right? There probably wasn't the same variety that um, we have today. Right. So, I mean, and sin being intentional, that takes us back to Genesis chapter three. Yeah, too. Because Eve says it's um, good for eating, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining something that I already have. Yeah. Right. What, what's going on here? Same thing. By the way, if you're not seeing the parallels between the garden, uh, like coming out, dry ground coming available, animals are now back, uh, the sky comes out, he plants a garden. Yeah. Suddenly there's a problem with the fruit. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Uh, and then the curses are let me... Mm-hmm. Right? Difference here being that God doesn't lay a curse and uh, Noah does. Like, guys, sin is intentional. It doesn't accidentally happen. I didn't go, what's the... <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Most of the time when I fall into something that is outside of God's will, sin, right? Outside of his plan for my life, outside of the things that's meant for me to operate inside of this world correctly. I didn't do it on accident. Now, I won't say that it never happens, but most of the time I do it intentionally. I say, God, you're holding out on me and I think I deserve this. Or I think this is good for me. Boy, if there was a more appropriate thing for America, right? If it feels good, do it. All right, here's a practical example. Take a spouse who is unfaithful. Okay? When they come back and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, it was an accident. No, it wasn't. Uh-huh. Right? Let's be real. Like, you don't accidentally cheat on your spouse. Right. Like, you, that's not something that you do. That is an intentional act that pulls you away from somebody you have committed to. Right. Uh, and and let's let's be uh, we're both you and I are men yeah right? and so uh, we have insight into men so uh, women you can hold women accountable we're gonna hold men accountable on this. yes guys it's really easy not to shoot your spouse really easy it's really easy not to do it the question is do you want to not do it yeah okay I I know people if they they come into this thing and they're like oh well it just happened I was like no it didn't like no we did not. I've been married 13 years. Nothing even has even come close to just happening. If something was going to happen, I was going to be intentional about every step. Mm-hmm. Or I'm putting myself in such a bad position that when something bad happens, I can't get out of it. Yeah. One of those two things is true. Uh, so guys, stop using that complaint. Stop using that excuse. You screwed up. Go back to your spouse and beg forgiveness and see if you can put the broken pieces back together. Because like we talked about in the story of Adam and Eve, when one t- person takes a bite and the other one does it, says no, mm-hmm. that's not okay. That's when restoration forgiveness happens. Right. 
Now, we're using this as an example, but we recognize that there's going to be people who are listening to this where like that is a very real situation for them. Right. So we do not want to downplay that one bit. We are not non-mitigating how difficult it is and then put a broken relationship back together. It is extremely difficult. And I will also say that both people have to want to put it back together. Yes. Because once some things are broken, it has to be both people who want to restore it. Yes. Forgiveness can still happen. I was like, but both people have to want it. So coming back to Noah. Yeah. Th this is intentional. You do not plant a vineyard by accident. Sin is intentional. You do not. You do not be like, oh, well, one day I woke up and tripped over a rock and voila, there was a vineyard. Yeah. And then I, I put all those grapes into a bag and then what? It turned into wine. Yeah. And then I drank it because I was like, hmm, stinky liquid. Let's drink that. Ready? This is intentional. Yeah. But it's more than intentional. Sin is not just intentional. It's also generational. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's something that we carry on from from our, our fathers to our present to our children. And I think I think it's really important for Christians to understand, one, okay, so the intentionality of sin. If we know it's intentional, then we need to set our intentions on something else. Mm -hmm. Right? The things that I intend to do are usually the things that I do. The things that I don't intend to do are things that I tend not to do. Somebody out there is like, wow, that's profound. Okay, but it's true. Right? Like, if I don't intend to do things, I'm not going to do them. And, uh, and sometimes intentions aren't enough. But if your intentions aren't noble, then they're never going to be noble. I work with students a lot. And one of the challenges I give to high school students is, I look, is let your Bible app be the most used app on your phone. Well, how do I track that? Most phones have that capability of tracking that for you. If not, there's apps you can download to track that for you. But set that up and see what happens. See how much that changes your life as you are intentionally drawing closer to God over everything else in your life. As you're intentionally doing that, you're going to find that your life profoundly changes. You're going to find in ways that you didn't even think were possible that your life is going to change you are also going to find that God is going to move through you and in you in a way that you never thought possible. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is sin is generational. Yeah. So one of the things that I um, have learned from God in the last few years is how much generational sin can be passed on. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I think about, you know, like, okay, so... How many times are you hearing about like, oh, well, my grandfather was a hard man and, you know, he was really, you know, he blah, blah, you know, punishment and all those different things. And so, you know, the father, like, you know, he's better, but at the same time, like, you know, he doesn't necessarily know how to love his sons well, but he doesn't beat them. Right. Or we're talking about fathers now once again, because we're men and we're going to talk about the things that we tend to identify with more. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the, um. You have to make a decision because Jesus Christ reversed the curse in your life. Mm -hmm. And this generational sin that goes from generation to generation has no holding in the name of Jesus. No. By the way, let's just hear this. In the name of Jesus, there is nothing from your past that can hold on to you. I'm not saying this. That could be familiar. It is not going to have a hold on you. So whether that's alcoholism, drug addiction, sexual addiction, anger, 
maybe you had a had a cheating grandfather, grandmother, uh, father, mother, uh, siblings, or it's you. You say, well, what about my kids? You make the choice is where is it going to stop? Because you have the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life, the empower of the Holy Spirit, and it is time for sin to stop because it will be generational if you let it be. And I look at my kids and I'm like, everything that I, I put into my life, it stops here. Mm-hmm. And I want to be intentional about that. It stops here. Now they're going to have to deal with their own stuff. I was like, but the stuff that I brought into this, nope, it stops here. Well, and I can, I can hear it now. The, well, you don't know my story. You don't know my situation. You don't know what so-and-so has done to me. In one, re- in one sense, it doesn't matter because it's all covered under Jesus. In another sense, your story matters incredibly, uh, an incredible amount because of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a both and. It's not an and or. We often treat that as an and or, but your story matters but it's also being redeemed by Christ when you let it be redeemed by Christ. And then what it does is it becomes a part, it still is a part of who you are. It's a transformational part, but it becomes a part where you are now leading now behind and moving forward into your life of Christ. And you are using that story to show how Christ has changed you. So good. Yeah. And it's, so the hard thing here is, is that you say, well, okay, so I have freedom in Christ. Uh, but I still am tempted to X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be. Yeah. But it doesn't have power over you. So I need, I need you to hear something. When you step into Christ, you become something else. The old is dead and the new has come. You are buried with Christ. You are crucified with Christ and you are raised with Christ. You are seated in the heavenly places with Jesus because your life is actually, uh, inside of who Jesus is. You have cast your identity on him. Now he has given you your Holy his Holy Spirit to go and live it out. You are no longer a filthy wretch. You are now the righteousness of God. Does that mean you'll never make mistakes? No. Because this old nature still calls back to us, but it no longer has power. All the power is on the side of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we need we need to talk about the flip side to the the, the Noah story, and this is going to be a lot of what ifs right here, okay? And so, please don't write to us being like, "Well, this is what the text says." We're we're doing some speculation. Yeah, these are these are thought experiments. Thought this is this is inviting the context of the Bible, yeah, into thought experiments. Okay, what if Noah came out of the boat? He didn't plant a vineyard. He didn't get drunk, right? What if he came out? And all those things didn't happen. Would there have been this looking upon the nakedness? Would there have been this curse on Canaan? Would the world have been a different place? I would venture to say yes, personally, because it Noah had a chance, a fresh start with a fresh creation in one sense, right? This story has been told as a recreation story. He had a chance, fresh start, fresh creation to come out and be like, okay, we're doing things differently. We saw the hate. We saw the anger. We saw the violence. We saw the pain, but we're not going to be about that. What if after this nakedness and Ham's sin, what if Noah comes out and says, my God is bigger than your sin? Ham, you're forgiven. Mm-hmm. 
do you think that changes the story? It's interesting that we talked about um, in the story of, with the apple. And I said, you know, Adam bite or Eve bites, and then Adam bites, and then their eyes are opened. It doesn't happen when one bites, it happens when the second one bites. And so the same story here, what happens if Noah is sinned against? And instead of cursing, he blesses. Now, obviously that's not what happens in this story, but what happens when you are cursed and you utter blessings? What happens when you are attacked and you comfort? What happens when you encounter hate with love and darkness with light? I think there's an invitation in the story of Noah. Are you going to let sin be intentional? Are you going to let it be generational? Or are you going to set the curse aside and let forgiveness come in its place? And I don't want by any stretch of the imagination, I don't want to pretend like that's easy. So when you are the one who is sinned against, it is really hard but that is what puts the world back together. It is. And I hear the keyboards typing a little bit. I got, yeah, I not, yep, yeah, I hear it happening. Okay. Now, if you're going to come and say, well, we have to have, like, when we follow Jesus, we have it all put together. Yeah. I just, no, we used broken people. God used broken people throughout the Old Testament. Jesus used broken people throughout the New Testament. Like, if you if you are coming at this and you're being like, well, God doesn't bless ministries where people are bro- or where like leadership is broken. I was like, dude, God blesses ministries where leadership is broken all the time. I and think He blesses them more. Yeah, because yeah. it's way bigger. Yeah, and so um, I, I just wanted to clarify that. Like, if you're coming at this being like, you're broken, I'm just too broken to make this happen. I have to be made more perfect or. Where I have to take more time to be made right, but God, honestly, God does some of his best work when we're at our lowest. Yeah. In fact, you might see more kingdom come in your world if you're willing to be broken. Mm-hmm. You want to see the work of God in your life, be willing to be broken and put back together however God sees fit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Engage him in your weakness. He let him be strong. Yeah. So one last thing I wanted to close on uh, today, because I was I was actually just thinking about it, and we've talked a lot about um, these thoughts. Of, hey, we talk about church trauma and some different things, right? In John sixteen two, right? There's a statement that God is or Jesus is giving to his disciples, and he says, "There's going to come a day, really soon, real, real soon. In his case, real soon, yeah." There's going to come a day when people are going to literally throw you out of the synagogues. They're going to murder you. And they're going to think that they're doing God a service. Okay. Um, in that scenario, who is they? It would be the Jewish like people, the leaders, the uh, priests, all those guys, right? And if you draw a modern parallel, it would be church leadership. Or just churches. Or different churches. Yeah. And one of the things that I hear Jesus, uh, an echo of this in your life is that when you go and pursue life with Jesus, living life with Jesus, the way he wants to, there are going to be some people who claim to follow Jesus and all they want to do is tear you apart. Yeah. 
And I'm just going to tell you, it's coming, it's going to happen. Like there are going to be people that when you want to follow Jesus, they're coming out of the woodwork to tear you apart. There is entire podcast, video series, radio networks declaring about all the heretics in the world. And they were like, we're contending for the faith. And I was like, are you? Because it seems like all you're doing is tearing apart people around you rather than proclaiming the gospel you claim to follow. I would be very careful when you talk about somebody else. I don't care how bad you think their theology is. Think about John 16 too. Am I the one that when somebody else, maybe in an imperfect way, is displaying Jesus? Am I the one who's trying to drag him out and murder him and call it service to God? Yeah. Who is like who is this God? You know, and, and I was like, you wanted you want to defend him. And I was like, but who is this God? While we were dead in our transgressions and sins, while we were dead. That's not great. He came. He lived. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended and he poured out the Holy Spirit on us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Right? This is who our God is. And you think that you need to defend against bad theology? Dude, our job is to proclaim Jesus to people so that when they see him, they go, I need that. Maybe the best thing that you can do is pray for those that are different than you mm -hmm. and then show Jesus well. Now, I am not saying that when you have a relationship with people, you never have a personal conversation and say, hey, this seems weird. Yeah. Like we are huge into theology. We're Bible nerds. We love having these conversations. But we are very, very careful. We said this in episode one. We're going to be very, very careful never to call out anybody from this podcast. We will push against ideas but never against people because I don't get to be the judge of how God is working in somebody else's life. I do determine how much God is going to work in my life. All right. So I want to extend this challenge to everybody. Are there false teachers out there? Absolutely. We're not contesting that. Like there are absolutely false teachers out there. Had you been placed in authority to expel them from their leadership roles? The answer is no. Right? There are teachers I don't listen to. Um, because I know of the heresy that they preach, but I am not the one who's been placed in authority to expel them from their teacher, their teaching roles. So my job is to pray for them. My job is to, uh, intercede for them on God's behalf. That's the extent of it. Like my job is not to rail against them. And then with that display Jesus. Yeah. Like the best thing that you can do in the face of heretical teaching is to display Jesus. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, you don't display Jesus with the tip of a knife. Yeah. Peter found that out. Jesus said, put it away. Yeah. So good. Uh, so guys, there it is. There it is. The curse of Noah. Um, I, I hope we're, Helping you kind of just see some things in Torah. By the way, Genesis is just such a good book. I think every time I go through Torah again, right, I just pick up a lot of stuff about like it's reoccurring themes over and over again. And I understand like Jesus in the New Testament just a little bit better by understanding Torah. Yeah. And uh, and so if you have not spent a lot of time reading the first five books of the Bible, dedicate it. Yeah. And also just, just forewarning, you're going to have to do some wrestling because some of the stuff's real weird. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I actually think next week, next week we have a couple of weird stories. We do. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, next, next week, I think it's Tower of Babel, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, go love people well, display Jesus, be intentional. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that you got something out of it. Uh, if you have any questions, please contact us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. And Instagram is loveandcontext. Again, loveandcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless.